Britain feels broken, but how do we fix it? Westminster just doesn't seem to have the answers, but we have found some people who do. Join me, journalist Becca Hudson, and me, the former MP Ed Vasey, for How I'd Fix. From the price of a pint to the housing crisis, this is the show where we take an alternative look at the problems plaguing the nation. And hear practical solutions from those in the know. Catch new episodes of How I'd Fix wherever you get your podcasts. Rebuilding Britain starts here. Unrivaled talk, Mike Graham. The only radio show you can count on for a proper serving of good old-fashioned common sense. In search of the perfect debate. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Nationwide, by your side, talk radio and talk TV. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. It's Monday morning. It's been a pretty fractious weekend one way and another. Uh, Firebomb attack on migrants is the front page of the Times this morning. Petrol bomber attacks migrant centre. Front page of the Daily Mail. Three devices thrown. They've actually got a picture uh, of the guy throwing it out of his car. Extraordinary picture, actually, uh, of a man uh, wearing a checked shirt. His face is slightly pixelated. Throwing a petrol bomb out of his car window uh, as he drives past... Um, this particular uh, migrant processing centre in Dover. Uh, A couple of people were injured. Surely it's not the point. The point about this incident is that somebody has decided that that was what he was going to do. We don't know what the circumstances are of this gentleman's um, uh, situation. He later committed suicide at a petrol station, so uh, it would appear that probably his mental health was not all that it should have been. Uh, But we're hearing more and more stories now of a system which is not only broken, but is creaking and is in danger of exploding into our entire everyday life. People who don't know about the migrant crisis, who have suddenly woken up to it, are absolutely aghast that so many people are coming to this country, seemingly with the wish to stay here for the rest of time. I spoke to a lawyer about all of this on Friday, a man who pretty much summed up what's wrong with the way that this situation is being treated. He basically said, well, everybody is entitled to come and live here. Well, they're not, I'm afraid. And now people are hiding behind the law saying, oh, but it's not illegal to come here as an asylum seeker. Well, yes, it is, actually. 0344 499 1000. We're going to talk to the chairman of Brexit Watch, former MEP Ben Habib this morning. Uh, The pressure cooker of Britain is literally rising and rising and rising. There's going to be trouble after more trouble after more trouble. 1,900 migrants arrived on our shores this weekend alone raising it to something like 40,000. There's no way uh, it's going to be below 50,000 by the end of the year. If you're getting 2,000 every weekend, you just figure it out. That's at least another 20,000 before the end of the year just from the weekends alone. I mean, this can't go on. The government needs to get a grip. I put out a tweet last night that said, now a deadly toll has been taken because of the migrant crisis. People have died in the past because they've died in the channel trying to get here. We've now got a guy who's committed suicide as a result of whatever frustrations he was feeling. I don't know why he did it. Nobody probably will ever know why he did it. But we have now surely reached a point at which the government has to stop talking about doing something and actually do something. 0344 499 1000. Meanwhile, there's a plan apparently afoot in the Home Office to mix migrants with other people in hotels. As opposed to taking over hotels completely, which is what they've been doing up to now, They fear that they might need to do more, but instead of stopping them coming, they're finding new ways to house them. 
I mean, really? Is this really the point? 0344 499 1000. We've got lots more going on today as well. We're going to talk about the police and crime. Peter Hitchens is here. Uh, the clocks have changed. So he'll have something to say about that. Plus, the levels of crime. The police are now saying... It's not that crime is going up, it's just that we're recording more of it and it's not really crime. And so when you see that we are not solving any crimes, that's not really a true picture because actually it's much safer now than it was 20 years ago. Oh yeah? And I've got some swamp land in Florida to sell you as well. Lots more going on. We want to hear from you, of course, because we need to hear your stories. 0344 499 1000. Something has to be done. Let's get it done. Let's do it. This is Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican, Mike Graham, the only place to be to get some common sense, to get some real proper ideas. We've been talking about this problem for a very long time here at Talk TV. Uh, We were talking about it when we were Talk Radio. You know, we've been talking about it really ever since Brexit, because one of the reasons people wanted to leave the European Union uh, was to get better control of our own borders so that we didn't have to allow people from any part of the European Union to just come and live here, come and work here, uh, come and uh, take a house here because they felt like it. And the whole point of having a border is that you control who comes across it, isn't it? I mean, call me old-fashioned. Ben Habib is here, uh, Chairman of Brexit Watch, former MEP, of course. Ben, a very good morning to you. Morning, mate. I mean, I don't know where to begin, really. You and I have had this conversation so many times. Surely to God, we're now at a point where the government has to stop talking about doing something and actually doing something. Well, I mean, you said it, really, in your last sentence, Mike, before you brought me on, which was that... You know, we've got to take control of our borders mm. and our government seems to conflate a number of different issues. It thinks a deportation plan for Rwanda is the same as border control. It thinks that doing a bilateral agreement with France over the control of smuggling is border control. No, that's not border control. Let's be clear. Border control is the physical protection of British borders at the point of entry into our territorial waters. And that control has to be exercised unilaterally by the British government. And that is where we are failing and where successive governments and successive Home Secretaries have simply not got the point. They seem to hang their hat on an international convention, a UN convention, that states that you know our border force and our Navy would be obliged to rescue anyone at sea so we can't take any robust physical action at the border but but that's an absurdity because you can't apply that convention to people who are literally trying to enter your country illegally Mm. it's like saying it's like saying to people who land at Heathrow well if you haven't got the requisite papers just jump over the barriers and we won't tackle you because we might endanger your physical being yes that's utter rubbish if these people are coming into our country illegally, seeking entry illegally, then we have to challenge them physically mm. at the point of entry, which is the border. And if necessary, Parliament should pass a law. I don't think a law is required, by the way. It's just the UN Convention. But if necessary, Parliament should pass a law derogating away from that UN Convention insofar as it applies to people illegally trying to enter yeah. the country. 
Well, the thing End that of I, story. The thing that's also incredible, right, and I discovered this, and I guess we sort of knew it anyway at the weekend, uh, I interviewed this immigration lawyer on Friday uh, who basically revealed that, you know, it was everybody's right to come to this country, uh, and if this country tried to stop them, then it was also their right to get legal aid to fight the government to stay here. And that's the situation. So if you do actually get refused entry at some point, and normally it takes about eight years before they actually decide to process your application and tell you that you're not fit to stay here, they then get legal aid, paid for by you and I, to fight the decision. It's incredible. It's incredible. And that's why, you know, deportation is nowhere near as good as border control. And they shouldn't be mixed up. They shouldn't be confused. They are two very distinct, different things. And, you know, lawyers like the one you interviewed, of course, have a massive vested interest in a protracted legal battle once these people get here because Mm. he makes fees out of it. And let's not forget that plane that failed to take off for Rwanda with its one passenger yeah. <laughs> was actually unboarded or deboarded, whatever the correct expression is, mostly by the British judicial um, uh, system. It was only the European Convention, the European Court of Human Rights, that came in for that last one person mm. who was on the plane and, and grounded the plane. No, we mustn't, we mustn't seek to deal with these people coming across the channel illegally through a deportation program. We've got to get physical at the border. I know that sounds uncompassionate, but that's what border control Mm. is. If people charge your borders, you have a right as a country to take physical action. I mean, actually, you know, Heathrow, just going back to that example, the quickest way to get a gun pointed in your face is to run at the barriers. Yeah. So why is it any different at sea? Right. Absolutely right. And what about these people, right, who say, oh, but, you know, these are desperate people coming, even if they now accept that there's, you know, 10% of them are Albanian. You know, there's an awful lot of them that are Albanian. According to Home Office figures, it could be as high as 80%. An awful lot of the people that we see coming off the dinghies physically um, look as if they could be Albanian people, you know, because it's but, but very clear they're like, not coming from Africa. Yeah. It's very clear they're not coming from, uh, from uh, Afghanistan yeah. or indeed Syria. But Mike, I wouldn't even go so far as to try and judge whether they're worthy of asylum or not. They are, at that point, seeking to enter the United Kingdom illegally. Mm. Whether they have a legitimate claim to asylum is a separate and different issue. And, you know, often the debate is undermined by citing the possibility that they might have asylum and therefore jumping to the conclusion that they have a right to enter the country illegally. No, that's not right. Mm. Even if they have a legitimate claim to asylum, that does not give them the right to enter the United Kingdom illegally. Right. Now, remember, they're coming from France. They're not coming from a war-torn region. Mm. I know France may not be to the liking of many, many people. It's not a place I would readily holiday. But they've got absolutely no justification to say that they're fleeing any hardship in France. They need to stay in France. We need to pass... A, 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 the Nationality and Borders Bill did make it more difficult. Uh, Act now has been passed into that did make it more difficult for people having come through safe countries to get to the UK, but there were exceptions. We need to toughen that up. We need to make it entirely illegal and we need to enforce our borders. The Royal Navy and Border Force need to be told to do their job. Mm. And more and more hotels are being commandeered, right? But we hear this morning that there's another, yet another mad plan afoot, front page of the Daily Telegraph, migrants side by side in hotels with the public, Home Office officials are drawing up proposals for spot bookings of rooms rather than reserving entire hotels. I mean, this is even more mad than what they're doing already. 
It's absurd. And it's already costing us two billion pounds a year to house the migrants we've already got. And that bill is only going up, like, mm. because none of these people are leaving the UK once they get here. No. Two billion a year. Now, you put that into the context of the cost of living crisis. And, you know, it's a massive figure. And the drawback, the drawback again with this is that once you've got people staying in hotels or rented accommodation and so on, you're creating more vested interest wishing to keep these people here. Landlords are now over the moon because they can sign their otherwise defunct properties up for long leases to the government to house these migrants. Right. So they're, they're benefiting. The whole system is breaking down. And, but it's broken you know, down, with, hasn't it? I think I don't it's, think it's broken, broken down. down. Yeah, it's, it's not breaking. Down. It's broken. It's broken. The system's broken. Mm. We need to get a grip. Yeah. I mean, could we not take legal aid away from these kinds of applications? And therefore, if they knew they couldn't fight and they knew they once were deported, they had to go, even though that system's not perfect. At least they... Because, I mean, you can see the conversations that people have with them where they say, don't worry, um, it'll take about eight years before they process you. And if you don't manage to get uh, the OK to stay, we'll just have a lawsuit, which you won't have to pay any money towards, uh, where we can sue the government uh, and you might even win some money. Well, I mean, the whole point was of having a 76 on it was 80 seat majority. Uh, you know, that Boris won on a promise to enforce our borders mm. was that he would use it to enforce our borders. Right. You know, that was that was one of the central promises made by Boris Johnson. Mm. And he didn't do it. Pretty Patel failed to do it. Suella Braverman, I hope, will do it, but she's got her own spot of bother at the moment, which yeah. is, I think, slightly nobbling her. Um, but, you know, we've, we've just got to get a grip. We suffer such an absence of political will in Westminster. It doesn't apply just to, uh, the, you know, these people crossing mm. the channel illegally. We have a complete collapse in political will at Westminster to protect the fabric of our country, to stand up for British rights, to stand up against um, people who want to rip our statues down, people who want to rip our... Uh, our heritage apart you know there's a complete lack of will in Westminster to effectively stand up for the United yeah. Kingdom well, also, and I don't they, know where this goes I know because they won't stand up to the civil service they won't stand up to the lefty lawyers they won't stand up to the lobbying groups who are lobbying on behalf of these illegal migrants it's extraordinary but stay where you are Ben we've got more to do more to talk about 0344 499 loads of you want to talk to me today I'm not surprised people are sick to the back teeth of this ludicrous situation it needs to stop and it needs to stop now this is Talk TV. Online on DAB Plus, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the home of common sense. It is, of course, uh, the independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Lots of people sending in uh, some very interesting tweets about what's going on in various points points around the country, particularly when it comes to hotels. Uh, already, some of you reporting in uh, that many hotels that you've stayed in have already got floors reserved, uh, which would appear to be floors reserved uh, for people who are being put there by the Home Office, uh, complete with security guards as well. Uh, a lot of you asking why legal aid cannot be taken away. Um, Boris has a bit of cake. Outrage from Labour and the lefty media. 40,000 mainly young men invade the country. Not a peep, uh, says Paul. Well, it's very interesting, isn't it, on the third front page of The Guardian. Ministers accused of Wild West attitude to UK's national security. Uh, they get very worried about Liz Truss's phone being hacked. They get very worried about Suella Braverman sending an email. But they don't get very worried about 40,000 people coming to the country illegally. Quite extraordinary. 
incredible hypocrisy. Ben Habib is with us, chairman of Brexit Watch. Ben, I mean, I think that's also the problem, isn't it? Um, and, and many have said, and in fact, uh, the, the, the sort of the, the piece by Natalie Elphick at the weekend in the Mail on Sunday pointed this out, that there is this kind of wave of horror anytime anybody mentions the idea that, uh, you know, that illegal migrants might not be a great idea for this country. Well, I, I mean, I, I don't know what it is. It's perhaps, you know, I'm hesitant to say, but perhaps it's just a complete breakdown in a belief that our nation's interests should be put first. It seems to me that the Labour Party and a large sway the Tory party simply don't believe in promoting the national interest, that they've got some kind of screwed up idea of what is for the greater good from a global perspective and our national interest needs to be subsidiary to that. I mean, I, I simply can't explain it. You know, these people have been elected to look after our interests and they trash them on a regular and frequent basis. And yeah. as I mentioned before the break, you know, it doesn't apply just to people illegally crossing the channel. It applies you know, right across the board to a whole host of uh, really critical national issues. Absolutely right. Well, let's have a look at um, some of the things that happened over the weekend, because obviously there was this bizarre attack on, on one of the um, detention centres in Dover, where a guy chucks three petrol bombs out of a window. Clearly uh, not all there. Uh, he later committed suicide. But on Sunday afternoon, it's reported that at Manston, which is the Home Office's processing centre, something like a dozen to 15 coaches arrived full of migrants to be put into this place where we've already had it described as a sort of hellhole where 4,000-odd people are being held, which is only designed to hold 1,000. We're hearing this morning that the army might be called in to build a proper detention centre for them. I mean, there just doesn't seem to be any recognition that you can't just keep building places for people to go. You have to stop them from coming. You've got to stop them from coming. It's the only treatment that's going to resolve the problem. And we're going to see much more of this, aren't we, Mike? We're going to see m more violence. We're going to see more break outbreaks of diphtheria, I think, is what they had at Manston. And we're going to see more of that as this problem gets bigger and bigger. Mm. And remember, Rishi Sunak is about to embark on some serious austerity. And that's going to be applied, presumably, to these people crossing the channel as well. Yeah. You know, we're going to have to cut back on all the massive benefits that they get. And um, it, the problem's going to get worse. And if we don't cut back on those benefits that they get, actually, mm. our own people are going to get pissed off. And you might, sorry, forgive the language, but, mm. you know, you might see more people um, attacking uh, these, you know, mm. centres where where migrants are, these, uh, you know, these people who've crossed well, the channel. No, there's no here, question. Uh, I mean, yeah, people are getting more fed up. I mean, we've taken calls from they people are. saying we're thinking of going down to the beaches and to stand there to defend the country and all this. You know, people are at breaking point as well. And the point is that, you know, despite everything, those who are in favour of this, for which I don't understand why, have changed the argument. You know, it used to be that, oh, I don't know what you made such a big fuss about, you gammon. There's hardly any of them coming. It's a very small <laughs> number. You know, France takes many more than us. They've, they've lost that argument. So then you were racist for a while. Now that some of the people that are coming would appear to be white rather than brown, they can't say we're racist anymore. Now they're saying, oh, but now they are protected by international law. Of course they're allowed to come here. You know, anything but to actually admit that there's a problem. Anything to, well, to, to say that, you know, there's, there's an entire sort of new, town of 40,000 people now living in this country and it's not sustainable. No, it, it is absurd and I've 
I think I mentioned to you before, um, you know, I, I have friends who are very well educated who think the United Kingdom have, has brought it upon itself because it's an imperial past, that it should now be invaded this way. Yeah. And um, of course, it, it's a complete ridiculous statement to make. Mm. You know, anyway, I'm very proud of our imperial past, by the way. I just want to get that on the record. Yes. You know, I'm sick of people attacking our imperial past. Right. The United Kingdom had a fantastic empire and it exported law and order, justice, um, education, infrastructure was yeah. fantastic. So I'm right. sick of people attacking and it also and when, blaming when, And also when, when those countries decided that they wanted to be uh, independent of the British Empire, that, that, that happened. It wasn't as if the and British Empire... they were Empire... given a helping hand and yeah. the Commonwealth was set up and they were welcomed back and there's a fraternity. Yeah. And there's nothing like that with the French Empire or the little empire that Germany no. had or tried to have. You know, we were a force for good in the world. We were the first to abolish slavery. We did so much for the world in terms of uh, uh, human rights and so on. And it is absurd to think that we should now have an open border policy because of what we, you know, our history. Utter, utterly ridiculous. Now, the problem here is, uh, is, uh, is, uh, is, uh, is, as I said, you know, breakdown in political will, a complete absence of a desire to get to grips with the problem. When we see it, we just stop oil, don't we, Mike? You know, people gluing themselves to the road, people trashing um, national art, um, graffitiing and vandalizing Rolex shops and other, mm. you know, perfectly legitimate businesses on the high street. And the police standing by and watching and doing nothing about it. I mean, I, 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 I can't imagine what I would do if one of these just stop oil people mm. glued themselves to the road in front of my car. Yeah, I mean, they. I, I would well, I've already worked be... out. I've already worked out what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to the nearest Sainsbury's while I'm waiting, get some soup, and just pour it over their head because presumably that's okay. Because <laughs> apparently it's not an offence if you do that. No, but you know it's just absurd, isn't it? Why, why are the police protecting the just stop oil people and moving? Uh, motorists away who just seeking to move these just off oil people so they can actually get to their work, drop their children at school. Who the hell are these just stop oil people that they have the right to sit in our roads and block legitimate mm. travel? Yeah. And why aren't the police tackling it? This is another symptom of a breakdown of our institutions, our inability, a lack of political will to get to grips with the problem. It's sickening. Yes. It's really sickening. Absolutely the country's right. going to depart. I'm sort of ranting now, Mike. No, but, listen, you know, but that's how everybody yeah. feels. And I mean, you're one of the more sane individuals that I know, Ben, and you're at your wit's end. I don't blame you. How about this? We've got loads of these coming in. I stayed at the Premier in Manchester Arena only last week. The top six floors are closed off to customers because they are full of migrants. I paid £102 a night. What do they pay? You feel you're being weighed up when walking in or out of the hotel. I mean, you know, people are going to get really annoyed with this. They can't sustain it. It's ridiculous. This government needs to get a grip. Yeah, they really do. Ben, good to talk to you. Thanks very much indeed. Um, Chairman of Brexit Watch, former MEP Ben Habib. Even he's getting worked up about this. Tell us what you're seeing out there. Tell us about the hotels near you, because we need to know precisely how bad this problem is and what the Home Office are doing about it. They're trying to keep it all a secret. I'm not having it. This is Talk TV.
made the announcement as it's been revealed that the death toll has now risen to more than 140. The footbridge in Gujarat collapsed as people celebrated the Diwali festival, leading to overcrowding. The former president of Brazil has been voted back into power after Lula da Silva beat far-right leader Jair Bolsonaro in the country's presidential election. His supporters celebrated after the left-wing former president won 50.9% of the vote. Bolsonaro has not yet conceded, prompting concerns over more political violence. And explosions have been heard in Kyiv this morning as Russia continues to target Ukraine's capital city. Attacks on civilian infrastructure have stepped up in recent weeks after Russia lost ground. Well, that's all for now. We'll have more in half an hour. The home of common sense. Talk radio and talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. You know what to do. 0344-499-1000 is the number. Getting an awful lot of tweets uh, from people saying that they've been in various hotels up and down the country. And of course, uh, what they've seen uh, is that there are certain flaws somehow blocked out so that they can't stay in them. But if you're paying for a hotel room uh, and you suddenly find that an awful lot of people staying in the hotel aren't paying for a hotel room, it's not going to make you very happy, is it? I mean, that's the problem. If you're trying to get a house and it turns out that people are being given houses because they've come here illegally and they somehow have to be given a house, that is not what Britain is all about. Absolutely ridiculous situation. 0344 499 1000. And we've seen uh, that Britain is now... It's creaking at the uh, very seams. You know, these uh, detention centres are overrun. They're badly run. The Home Office isn't fit for purpose. And so now I'm saying the government has to do something about it. They can no longer stand by and say we're going to do something about it. No, they actually have to do something. There is, I believe, an urgent question in the House of Commons. We think this afternoon we'll bring that to you right here, of course, as soon as we can. But right now, let's talk uh, to Lucy Fisher, Defence Editor at The Times, because a couple of big stories at the weekend are involving Russia. One, Liz Truss's phone was apparently hacked. And two, uh, we've, of course, got the other situation going on uh, where there may have been other infiltrations of Russian intelligence finding out all about what is going on in this country's government. Well, I think there are a lot of security concerns about how uh, Russian agents were able to access the prime minister's messages. But it seems that it was via WhatsApp, which is obviously a privately owned app, which can be downloaded onto government phones, there have been quite a lot of security issues over it previously, um, including um, over uh, it's thought that um, Mohammed bin Salman, the, crowd, the Saudi crown prince, had a role in um, sending a message that allowed spyware to be downloaded to the phone of Jeff Bezos, the Amazon founder, previously. That then led to um, security concerns about Boris Johnson messaging the Saudi crown prince over WhatsApp. Fast forward a few years, there was also the scandal involving an Israeli spyware firm um, being accused of um, hacking activists' phones, again, via security weaknesses in WhatsApp. So I think there are growing um, concerns now about WhatsApp being used, particularly by ministers. But it is obviously a widely used app. It's, um, it's almost universal. Most people in Westminster use it. So it would be a huge reduction in convenience if ministers or even MPs were advised against using it. Right. But it must be some kind of massive uh, operation now to kind of, they've said to various MPs that they shouldn't use their mobile phones. Ministers have been told they have to be really careful. I mean, how would they even know if they are a victim of something like this? Well, that is one of the areas of concern that you wouldn't necessarily know. Yeah. I mean, it would take for the security services 
to use their sort of uh, skills to deduce that. I don't think it's it's possible for for an, an ordinary person to know when their messages have been compromised. Yeah, I mean, that is the problem. And I mean, is this as a result of what's going on in Ukraine because it's now worse than ever? Or is it just something that has been going on for a while and we we're just really finding out about it? I think it's the kind of asymmetric or grey zone or hybrid warfare, lots of different terms for this new type of warfare that Russia has been using against the UK and Western nations for actually years now. Um, Instead of the sort of traditional hot war like you're seeing in Ukraine, Russia is instead using all sorts of other levers, including technological, economical, diplomatic, to try and stir up problems, cause uh, issues for countries um, that it considers hostile to its own objectives. Mm. It really is quite an extraordinary thing. And MI6 obviously have got their hands full with China. I mean, for a long time, it was thought that China was trying to get into the main sort of telephone network here using Huawei as a kind of, you know, sleeper cell, if you like. That seems to have been sort of put to to, uh, to bed. But, I mean, this is a constant problem now for any government in the West, isn't it? I think that's right. There are, you know, huge um, problems that Western governments face when they're having to deal with technology that aren't owned by governments anymore. And I think there's even in recent um, in the past year or so been an acknowledgement by um, MI6 that it needs to do more to partner with the private sector because it can't make its own technology. The kind of tools it needs now, it can no longer make in-house with its own experts. So I think we might see more of government security services partnering with tech firms, employing or contracting their services, uh, and it will need to do that to come up with the kind of safeguards, the firewalls, and other kind of um, tools to protect Mm. its own um, agents, politicians, and other kind of parts of civil society, because there is this recognition now that that's how people operate. It's very difficult to go about daily life, do business, without using these kind of mm. apps and other, and other tools that are so widespread. Well, that's it. And I heard somebody explaining that this particular sort of uh, spyware that was used has the ability to just send a message to a phone without you even acknowledging the message, even just deleting it. It can somehow access everything on that phone. So if whoever has hacked Liz Truss's phone has now got every one of her contacts, presumably, I don't know what you do about that. I mean, it's, it's almost impossible to fight against, isn't it? Yeah, and so I don't know the exact details of, of what has or hasn't been downloaded from Liz Truss's phone, but if that is the case, that these spyware viruses can download the contents. Also, photographs would be, um, you know, a very dangerous cache of information for people to have. You know, might be compromising photos and mm. so forth that would make the target a blackmail risk. So yes. it is really worrying that if someone that's not in your contacts book but who gets hold of your contact number can send you a message, as you say, you don't even need to open it. The idea that that person could then steal the contents of your phone Mm. is pretty alarming. Right. And I mean, I know you may not be able to answer this question, but I mean, can we assume that the MI6 operatives are doing exactly the same to Russia and China and making sure that we've got all their details as well? Who knows? (laughs) You know, I think um, certainly the way that the British security services operate tends to be within a much tighter legal framework particularly when it comes to UK citizens, you need all sorts of warrants and to have um, a, a reasonable level of proof mm. of wrongdoing or, or reasons for s- suspecting wrongdoing um, to, to be able to get the kind of warrant to do that kind of surveillance on British c- citizens. I think overseas as well, like 
it, it, it's uh, it's probably guarded by a, a, a more uh, legalistic framework. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. Good to talk to you, Lucy. Thank you very much indeed. Lucy Fisher, their chief political commentator at Times Radio, uh, telling us about the latest uh, efforts by the Russians to somehow hack into Liz Truss's phone. Apparently, it's not very difficult to do. Let's go to Cornwall and talk to Jill. Hi, Jill. Hi, Mike. How hey. are you? Yeah, all right. What's What's going on? Well, it's this migrant thing. I'm so sick. I am sick of it. Mm. Absolutely sick of it. I mean, in in any other situation, these people would be regarded as criminals. Yeah. You know, they they are. You you talk to someone who's having to come through an airport yeah. and filled in all the forms and done it correctly, right. and 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 they've had a situation where if they get turned around and stopped, then they they are in effect sort of breaking the law, yeah. and, and this can be called. And yet these people, we're we're picking them up. We're housing them, we're feeding them, we're giving them money. I'm sick of it. I know. Well, I mean, the thing is, the first thing that happens to them, though, is they get arrested and they get taken to a detention centre. Well, shouldn't that be the end, right? And just put, you know, build a proper detention centre, put them in it, and then they know that they don't leave it until such time. And if if it takes eight years for their asylum claim to be processed, then let them stay there for eight years. Well, that's that's their tough luck, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, if someone, it, uh, the the problem is, I think we should just turn the boats around, take them off of the boats they've come over, put them into a boat, and take them back and drop them onto the beach in front. Maybe if France got them back, they might help us sort it out. Yes. You know, might do something to stop the situation from happening so much from their beaches. But I mean, if someone if someone broke into my house and and turned around and said to me, "Look, I'm an I'm an asylum seeker," and I mean, I, would I be expected to look after him? Well, of course not. And, no, well, no, no exactly. you'd be expected to call the police. You'd be expected to um, uh, say you've got an illegal en- uh, invader in your home, and you'd like them to come and arrest them, please. And that's why I'm fed up with these charities. I'm sorry, but I know charities do a lot of good, but I'm fed up with these people that um, are are kept going by public money, money donated by people who are probably struggling to pay their bills, struggling to feed the kids and what have you. And they are devoting their time in order to make us feel as if we're we're the wrong ones mm. in the country. We're the we're the not nice people. Yes, you know, I, I, I'm just I'm. I mean, people I, are just really listen, hot. Jill. You speak for the nation. People are at their wits' end. Absolutely unbelievable what's going on. Jill's in Cornwall. She makes an awful lot of sense. You know, she makes sense. You know, it makes sense. The only thing that doesn't make sense is the actual reality of what's going on. Makes no sense at all. Oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand. We'll take more of your calls after this. Mike Graham fighting the good fight with all his might, providing a welcome dose of common sense for the common people. Solid talk. Hot talk. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Nationwide by your side. Talk radio and talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We are, of course, at the start of yet another week, almost at the end of October. In fact, it's Halloween. I haven't mentioned that it's Halloween. I should mention that it's Halloween. Uh, a day that didn't used to be celebrated in, in England at all was purely and simply a Scottish event uh, and a Northern Irish event and an American event. But it is now, of course, an English event as well. So uh, I was actually driving in um, London yesterday as I was coming back from uh, being away for the weekend. I saw five dinosaurs crossing the street in front of me. I can only assume they were dressed up for Halloween. I don't know. Um, or perhaps they were members of the Labour Party. Very possibly. Anyway, Peter Hitchens is here. Uh, we're going to talk to him about many things, including the migrant crisis, including Just Stop Oil, and also including the big story of the weekend, 
the clock's going back because you might remember we had a fascinating conversation I think it was this time last year about why Peter doesn't think we should change the clocks in this country at all 0344 499 1000 keep uh, those calls coming in I've got this from um, uh, Thomas uh, Foller sorry uh, hi Mike I live in the Netherlands the same problems with migrants here as well they've now decided to house them in an unused cruise ship also not enough houses for residents as they prioritise immigrants and there is a lot of unrest it is a big problem and it's going to get a bigger problem here as well as we go forward but let's say very good morning to Peter Hitchens how are you morning how's it going well, it's nice to be back on genuine, honest time instead of <laughs> Berlin time. That yes. Forced to well, we, we had a fascinating argument about, not argument, conversation about this. Um, I think it was this must have been this time last year, I suppose. I think um, it, it does tend to come up. Uh, and which Chris Evans became very, very fascinated by because he couldn't believe how complex this whole thing was. And Nobody how, understands and, it. And, and your explanation of how we got there. So without rehearsing all of it again, the bottom line is you wrote in your column this week, uh, on Sunday, that as you wake up this morning to this, you should be feeling better. Because you the circadian rhythm of sort of what, oh, what is called Greenwich Mean Time. There is actually serious medical research mm. which shows that when the clocks go the other way, when they push them forwards to be dishonest yes. in March, uh, then quite large numbers of people fall ill. Mm. Uh, it, it creates or is associated with the creation of heart arrhythmia, which yes. can lead to strokes. And this isn't this isn't just made up stuff. This is real research. But what's points. the what's the reasoning behind that? Well, why, it's the same as jet lag. If you, you the you know perfectly well, you move out of the, the, the time zone mm. to which you are accustomed. You feel tired and, and and stressed in abnormal ways. What you do when you move the clocks forward away from where they ought to be is to create a sort of miniature jet mm. lag, but without the fun. Yes, I must confess, I woke up this morning and felt good about the fact that it was lighter. Yes, one that, thing I don't like is waking up in the dark. Well, that is the, the main difference. If you if you move the clocks forwards mm. in, at any time, what you mean, you you get more light in the evening and less light in the morning. Yeah. The amount of daylight remains the same, but because we're all governed by things like broadcasting yeah. schedules, school opening times, right. uh, work opening times, and the, the the whole way in which life is arranged, the clocks even even if we pay no attention to them, they have a huge effect on how we mm. live. And it's particularly if you if you commute long distance or have children to get to school, mm. it's as if one morning you, you you got a letter from your school's head saying. As of next Monday, uh, we require you to bring your child to school one hour earlier. And yeah. a letter from your employer at the same time, as of next Monday, we require, require you to attend work yeah. one hour earlier. Mm. And all the broadcasting begins one hour earlier. Mm. That's basically what happens when you fiddle with the clocks. But it, it's it, it, people don't understand this. I only understand it because I once flew backwards across the international dateline. And this, the, the experience was so fascinating <laughs> that I fell to thinking about it. And what, I what was that? Tell us more about I, that. I, I, when I left the Soviet Union after two and a half years, right. I decided I had to do it in some way that was not ordinary. So right. I, I managed to get permission to go. I wanted to walk across to Bering Strait because mm. it does freeze. Yeah. They wouldn't do that because there's too much electronic stuff there, uh, surveillance. Right. But they would allow me to go to a place called Providenia, which is the last place in Siberia. And to fly from there, I, I, I flew from Providenia to Nome in Alaska. I mm. left Providenia in Russia uh, on uh, late on Monday morning, and I arrived in Nome, Alaska at lunchtime the previous Sunday. Ah. And so I, See, actually that's g- I gained to... an entire day, yeah. which I'm keeping. And I, I, it's, it's an extraordinary thing. And once <laughs> you, once, once you look into this, you begin yeah. to know what well, you know, this I've, time stuff I've, is about. I, I once um, uh, put the pro- proposition to somebody that if you had been able to still fly on Concorde, if you continually flied west on Concorde, 
and I don't even know whether you would continue to call it west, depending on how you go around the globe. But I guess you would, from London, fly west. If you continue to fly, uh, stopping only for short trips to take a photograph or something in New York, California, because you're effectively flying quicker than any other method of flight, could you? Because you would fly, you would fly to New York, you would leave here, I think, um, at say nine o'clock in the morning, and it was only a three-hour flight. So you would get there local time before you left. I mean, the, the, the time I did take Concord, which was very early in its, in its existence, when you could only fly to Washington, D.C., yeah. I think we did arrive more or less exactly the time we'd left. Yes. So we'd ba- basically the time spent flying was, was cancelled out on the way back, yeah. flying, flying eastwards. It was an extraordinarily accelerated evening, which I found very disconcerting. Yes. And, uh, and, uh, and actually made me feel quite strange. Yes. You, you went. You, you left. You left in, in in the early afternoon. And suddenly, it was it, it was absolutely dark night. Right. Uh, not long after 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 leaving the American coast. Right. Very strange. Experience. That would be weird. It does. It does mess way. with the time. Yeah. But going the other way, if there were no delays, and you say took three, say it took three hours, um, if you left London at nine a.m. Yeah. You would, um, which is only four a.m. in Washington D.C. Yeah. You would arrive in Washington D.C. around seven a.m. So effectively. Yeah, I think it took time. slightly longer than three, three and a half, maybe. But still, half, but you yeah. still get there yeah, no, before you, were, you left. It was it was odd. It was it was definitely. So if you my, my theory being, if you continued all the way round and came back to London, having gone that way, what would happen? Well, then you have to fling in the international dateline, of course. Yeah. You would then fly forwards across the international dateline if you mm. were going that way. Right. I was I was I was going uh, I, I was going east. Yes. So I, that's how I went backwards. If you mm. went the other way, you'd you'd lose an entire yeah. day. And is that all invented time? Then? Is, is, well, longitude. Time zone. Longitude is an invented measure of a real thing. Right. Uh, there, there are three hundred and sixty degrees that could equally well, if they measure the degree in a different way, be, be five thousand degrees. But there are in fact three hundred and sixty. Yes. And fifteen of those cover an, an hour of the twenty-four it takes the Earth to rotate. The the, the basic thing you can't alter is the time it takes for the Earth to rotate. Yes. It's just an attempt to measure it. The lines of longitude, unlike latitude, are completely arbitrary. Mm. The fact that the zero meridian runs through Greenwich is, is, is a matter of political power. Yeah. We, 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 we invented We made that. it so. The yes. French hated it. Right. And they spent... Why didn't they have their own? Well, they tried to have their own, but they, in fact, they had a very curious designation of Greenwich Mean Time as Paris Time plus 19 right. minutes or something. But they, they wouldn't accept it. And in the end, after 100 years of bitter diplomacy, mm. they caused Greenwich Mean Time to stop being called Greenwich right. Mean Time, to be called uh, Universal Coordinated Time, which is now its official name. They hate it. Is it really? See, yeah. I've never it's thought all, it No, that. it isn't Greenwich Mean Time anymore. So, but it's still... I know I mean, so much of this stuff. No, it's, I, it's this is what I love talking to you about it for, because I've all, but I still see GMT written down. Only here. Oh. Nowhere else in the world. Because okay. it's, 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 I think it's, you also it's, explained. It's did you not also explain their mad plan to have a sort of metric system? For oh, time? they did. They tried to have uh, the the French Revolutionaries tried to have uh, ten hour days and mm. and, uh, and ten day weeks. Right. Uh, though they did they did have twelve uh, <laughs> months. They couldn't I think work out how to do it in ten months. But and the problem with ten day weeks is of course the weekend comes mm. around less frequently and that is very unpopular. Yes. So the uh, particularly the, now the, the, the French work-life balance revolted again. But if apparently if you look in very high high-class antique shops in Paris, mm. you can sometimes find the beautiful old eighteenth-century clocks with the ten-hour. That's amazing. Day march on them because you also wrote about a dozen this weekend. Oh, the dozen, well. yeah, and how the dozen has kind of disappeared. Well, I just noticed that going around a particular supermarket, I love this they, stuff. Were, they were selling they were selling eggs and tens, which right. was, is what they do on the continent, right? But here we, we tend to buy them by the half dozen. Or yes. occasionally, I haven't seen a dozen eggs. Well, you wouldn't buy five, would you? Well, I wouldn't. 
I mean, then, how would but, you make a box for five eggs? Well, it would be odd. That's, be that, long well, that's single. why it's ten, isn't it? Yeah, but I mean, that's why it's six, presumably, because yeah. it's an even number. Well, I suppose so. But when eggs were originally sold in, in dozens, they were in half dozens, they were sold in bags. Yeah. I, suppose. I mean, when I was a young man, I don't think you could buy a dozen eggs. I mean, that was rather large extravagance. You just bought six. Yeah, but it, it's it, it is a different measure. And yeah. So, and the, but all kinds of things are still were still then done in twelve, twelve pennies to a shilling. Yeah. And uh, twelve inches to a foot, which have now more or less faded from the minds of millions of people. Mm. But to me, it, because twelve is actually I a rather, a rather now, good base of calculation. I meet people now who don't know what foot is. Yeah, or, or a yard. Well, it's thirty centimeters. Isn't yeah, it? which is which is oddly enough the the length of the rulers in continental schools. But and yet we still use. They still have a foot, but they're. I mean, I don't know what they do in Europe. To be fair, but in terms of a football penalty area, it's eighteen yards. It's the eighteen yard box. I don't know what they. Do. I don't know what they call it in, in Europe. I've never thought about that. I but know, if but you I, go I, to the the Bernabeu, for example, to watch Real Madrid, do they have an eighteen yard area? You'd have to check. I, what I do know is that somebody once was asked to mark out a cricket pitch, and mm. he thought the twenty two meters would be the same as twenty two yards, and so he marked it out in, in meters instead of yards. And the result, the effect on it's play, the same. was appalling. Yeah, it just didn't work. Right, the, the, the difference was considerable. So, yes. but I, I imagine they. Have have a metric, a metric version of it. Yes, it is fascinating though because I mean we are governed so much by time because we never have enough of it for a start. Yeah, uh, you always need more of it. Um, but what would actually be the case if they didn't change the clocks? Right, what would happen? Well, it, it in, depends in, when say, they didn't. The spring. Well, in depends, say, say in the spring when they didn't change them. Well, if they kept them as they are now. And we as got round, now. and they got round to whenever they would normally move the clocks forward. And left them as they are. Left them as they are. What would be the effect of that? Everybody would be much happier. There would be a lot of people who wouldn't get ill in the. In, in but the, practically, in, in the I mean, what, how would we well, know? Practically, you 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 wouldn't know particularly because because there is a fixed amount of daylight. You can't also the amount of daylight by changing the clocks. It's a fantasy. It's a phrase. Daylight saving time yeah. is, is 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 ridiculous because you can't change the amount of daylight. It just means it's actually in general if you leave. leave it where it is uh, the evenings come slightly earlier and the mornings mm. the, the I mornings, mean in the, the summertime come slightly earlier but in the than, summertime than, you've got more light anyway but if you hadn't if you're used to it but until I think 19 is it 15 or 16 until until the middle of the first world war that was normal anyway there yeah. were no there are, quite, there are jokes about this in, in P.G. Woodhouse novels of, mm. of, of how, of how the, the changing of the clocks during and after the First World War, messes about with time, yeah. and it does. It basically means the the, the evening comes earlier than it. Than, than, I mean, we've all had the clocks put forward, bizarrely, in summer uh, for pretty much a century now. So people are used to it. Right. You would so it stays it, light it longer. Dark. Or it, stays, it would be dark a little earlier. Yes, um, which wouldn't matter much in the summer. Well, would I it? I, people always say that if the if the if the clocks are kept forward and it's it's, it's lighter. Later in the evening, everyone will go out and and, and do open air Shakespeare and play tennis. But what everybody will do yeah. is the same as they always do: slump in front of the television, yeah. and go to the pub, and it won't make any difference mm. at all. It's a fantasy, and all the claims of, of what it will do, it will save so much energy and all the rest of it. They're all couched in that with that wonderful verb "could" yes. or its friend "may," yes. which equally well means "could right. not, could not, or may not." <laughs> and it, it, there's no actual. Proof that it's ever done the slightest yeah. good at all, but it's an obsession mm. with the sort of people who like to fiddle with our lives. Yes. But it's fundamental. It's, it's as if to get people to drive more slowly, the speedometer of every car was made to read forty miles an hour when the car was actually doing thirty. Mm. 
I, it's, 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 it's a fantasy to imagine right. that by fiddling around with the measures of things, you alter reality. Well, I mean, governments have worked like that for quite a long time, unfortunately. But we'll come back to that. Yeah. Peter Hitchens is here. We're going to talk about the migrant crisis, what he would do to solve it. We'll take loads of your calls coming up as well. 0344 499 1000. This is Talk TV. Clear-headed, honest opinion. Lively debate. Talk Radio. Online, on DAB+, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here uh, on Talk TV. I'm reliably informed um, that it's just called the penalty box, which doesn't sound very European to me. Um, Terry in Ramsbottom, I think, is having a laugh. He says European football fields have a 15.459 metre box. It must be 18 yards then, by the sounds of it. Well, it sounds about right, but I mean, I, I would have to, to, to get a calculator yeah. and work it out. But presumably they, they, they have some expression. Somebody's it. also asking, isn't December the 10th month? Well, it was in the Roman calendar, yes. yeah. And they bound in a couple of extra ones. Yeah, so it's fascinating stuff. Let's talk about the big story of the, of the day and probably the week, I dare say, because we've been talking about it for a long time here on this, uh, this station, but the illegal migrant problem where they had, I think, 1,900 came this weekend alone, yeah. which would suggest if the uh, if that continues, that's just 2,000 every weekend until Christmas. Is another Well, the weather will worsen, I think. It which, will, which, but... Which it makes a big difference, but... It, nonetheless, I mean, I, I went down... Well, it may not. It's very clement at the moment, well, yeah, isn't it? But it, I think the forecast is for, is for quite rough weather in the Channel. Yeah. But the the thing is that I, w- I went down there to take a look. And in fact, the day I was there, there was a crosswind and, and there was nobody landing. Mm. But it was quite obvious from all the stories that everybody told me that we that the, the Channel used to be a psychological barrier. People thought this was a dangerous stretch of sea. Yeah. Which, of course, it, it is. It is, supposedly. Traffic, but they didn't dare cross it. But now that's gone. People think that it's uh, it's, it's crossable, and mm. so they cross it. So what's happened is we effectively have a land border with France right. in, in, to all its sense and purposes. So the key to anything that we do is France. If we can get the French uh, to prevent people from, from actually getting onto the water, then we've solved that particular problem. Yes. And I think that no effort should be spared in doing so. Mm. I, I'm actually quite an admirer of France. I think it's a, in some ways a, a very well sensibly governed country. It certainly has a very powerful state when it chooses to use it. And mm. if the French state could be recruited yeah. to do so, obviously that's going to involve money because it's 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 not particularly to their benefit. Though I think in the long Well we've tried giving them money. Yeah, we haven't happened. ever done it enough. It's mm. never been properly applied. And you, you have silly people in British governments who make daft remarks about is France really our friend and stuff like that, which yes. sets back. And of course the quibbles about the, the European Union issue. But I think if a British Prime Minister I think this has to go Prime Minister President mm. Uh, went to President Macron and, and and asked him to take the matter really seriously yeah. uh, on a, on a, on the basis of, of uh, and we'd have to spend a lot yeah. because basically we they don't the French are not going to want British police or British soldiers patrolling their coast they mm. they're, they're very they're probably keener on national sovereignty than anybody else in the world they're not going to it has to be them doing it yes. so we have to pay them. I think it's worth it. I would, I, would cancel HS, I would cancel HS2 tonight mm. to spend the money on persuading France to patrol the channel. Uh, the, well, there's the a lot of reasons for cancelling HS2. I mean, I Many know, reasons. I don't know how far along they are, but what I do know is they're very far along the route of purchasing properties. and, and Yeah, and they're far along purchase. the very diff- difficult contracts, which mm. are hard to get out of, but I don't care. I think it was always a mistake. In any case, I think the money would be better spent on this purpose. Yes. And I think it could be done, but it needs resolve and it needs an intelligent, grown-up attitude mm. towards France, mm. to which they would, in my view, respond. Yes. And, well, I mean, and although we... would stop. If they, they can stop it if, if they want to. The, the moment, they don't much mm. care. 
Well, there's there's no question. I think that the, the the problem is not so much what you do with people when they get here. It's stopping them. Oh, once coming. they're here, that's it. Once you, they're here, they never leave. You might get a, you might get one percent of them to leave after they, after they arrive if you're very very lucky. But in the meantime, you're yeah. But they to... now apparently have got worked out that if even if they are deported, kicked out, they come back again. Well, very possibly, and that I mean, way they can reapply. I mean, international law makes it incredibly difficult to to expel people once they've arrived from any country yeah. uh, if they if they claim that they are seeking refuge and it's very hard to prove that they're not and frankly in many cases beyond us to do because so. also the rules these, these are the ones who are actually in the centers mm. there's very large numbers who i think from what i saw of the of the, the way that the, the coast is there who simply come ashore and are met by confederates and disappear uh, without trace and so we have no record of them i right. think the numbers coming across are probably significantly larger than the ones that are they recorded. are i mean what people say in the immigration business is that there was a time when more people came uh, on lorries because they could smuggle their way into Britain that way, but that's been pretty much curtailed, and it's much more difficult now. To it do. is difficult. So I mean, more of them have, have, have come uh, by, uh, by boat course, because it's easy. Of course, horrible things happen, but these are these are. We have to understand this. These these are. I have no criticisms of the people who are trying to get into the country. No, I don't. I think no. Because it's, why, it's, why it's Enterprising you? here it is. Yeah. Uh, I think that there's a much deeper problem in Britain, which uh, which we don't ever address, which is why is it that we that that, that quite a lot of people in this country welcome migration? It's because there are a lot of jobs which ought to be done by indigenous people, but the mm. indigenous people, I believe, thanks to an education system which is one of the worst in the advanced world, and also the the general breakup of the family, that, that, that an awful lot of British people are not willing to mm. work in the kind of jobs which immigrants will do. Mm. And I think that's, uh, that, 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 that is an absurdity which ought to be corrected. My we son need, has we got need a job. to re- rebuild the schools and we need yeah. to rebuild family life. My son has got a job in a, in a, a, a well-known pizza place, shall we yeah. say. Everybody else working there is foreign. Everyone. Oh, this is, yeah, this is quite good. Right? Yeah. And that's the thing. How about this um, from Mr. W? Back in the 70s, I was a radio operator in the Royal Navy. All signals were sent with a time of four digits followed by a Z, Zulu, uh, this being what was GMT, now UCT. Local time was different outside of home waters, so we had two clocks, one for each. Yeah, that, 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 that's so right. Two I mean, clocks Zulu, is, Zulu is generally the military term for what we call Greenwich and everybody else. Right. UCT, yeah. Mm. One final thing to talk about was your main piece this week about yet another terrible, grisly, awful murder. Yes, it, it was. It was so distressing. I and mean, these were people who'd reached the ends of their lives. They were in their eighties, and, yeah. and and she let the cat out, and in through the door came this this monster mm. who then spent the appears to spent the entire night torturing these two old people mm. to try and get them to tell them where the money was. I, it's just, I don't know. It was blamed partly on his gambling habit, something which is now called an addiction, uh, which I've no doubt he he gambled heavily and and got himself into into great debts. I asked the the, the local police whether they'd investigated his drug use. Uh, They said they had. Um, and it turned up nothing, which is better than most police forces mm. in this. Who don't even say? To, they were, they will refuse to discuss it, because I think most police forces are embarrassed by the mm. fact they do nothing to prevent yeah. drug abuse, and and they they have a suspicion that it's, it's it, it may be behind crimes for this guy. So I can't say mm. whether this guy was in fact deranged by drugs, but an awful lot of crimes of this kind. And I, again, I draw attention to the website mm. Attack of Smoke Cannabis, where these things are monitored. Yeah, uh, in, all all local papers are monitored, and and, and he he lists uh, Mr. Granger, who runs it, lists every crime where where marijuana is mm. uh, is is an element. 
uh, it's very, very common. So I think it, it might well be. I just know these people, the world they grew up in was simply not one in which people uh, would come into your house and torture you yeah. to death. And uh, it's it, that change. These are, these are people who grew up in the 40s. Mm. That change in our life is huge, and I think it's time it was reversed. Absolutely right. Well, we've got a police chief today. We're going to talk about it next. Um, after you go, uh, who's now saying, actually, you know, we're safer now than we were 20 years ago. The reason that it looks as though crime is going up is because we're recording more crime. And you go, well, that's not actually the reason. It is more dangerous now than it was 20 years ago. I'm sure of that. Do you remember the the, the terrible case? Um, I, I'm, the, the, I'm starting to remember the names of the people involved. Um, one was called Francesca, where a, a woman and, and her um, slightly disabled, I think, daughter... Um, Died. She but she she burnt them both to death in their car because they'd been um, they they'd been more or less driven mad by yes. persecution by yeah. neighbours because mm. of the girls, uh, because of the girls' disability, and I th- this is the problem. How do you record what was happening to those people? What is it? As a, and this is the kind of thing which the police can easily say, well, that's not a crime, but actually many many people's lives are made to complete misery uh, by harassment of this kind. And they do go almost mad. Of course, the other great scourge of, of, of noise and of people hanging around the street outside and vandalising people's cars and possessions and wrecking their front gardens. This is not... It's dismissed as petty mm. so often by the police and by the mm. authorities. It's not petty no. when it happens to you, no. particularly if you're old and defenceless. And, and you, 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 you call the police and they, they come once and they, they do nothing. And they and say, we can't do and anything. We can do nothing. And they, and, you, and they go, well, there you are left. They're standing in the twilight. And you're thinking, I have absolutely nobody who's going to defend mm. me from this. I'm on my own. Yeah. What does that do to people? I know. It is a crime. And police should realize that their presence on the street, I keep saying this is the most basic thing, their presence on the street, on foot, regular on foot patrol, transforms mm. millions of lives for the better and makes life much harder for criminals and low lives and they should go back to doing it as their principal occupation mm, no true. better idea and, and if they won't do it as i say close down these police forces and replace them with new ones which will absolutely peter thank you very much it was fiona and pilkington uh, who's who was involved in that case right. peter thanks very much indeed we'll look forward to seeing you again at the same time next week this is talk tv the independent republic of mike graham on talk radio welcome back to the independent republic of mike graham right here on talk tv much to do uh, plenty of time to do it in of course ian collins will be up at one o'clock uh, 03444991000 uh, is the number vanessa Feltz is back at four uh, it's jeremy carl of course we'll be talking to him coming up in the next hour from seven piers morgan back at uh, I'll be back at the talk uh, from 9 o'clock tonight as well. So there's lots going on, lots to do. Uh, we need to hear from you, of course, as well. 0344 499 1000. Uh, here's one um, from somebody who says it was a lack of action uh, by the police. Um, oh, hang on, I've lost that one now. But we're talking about Tony Martin. Lack of action by the police. There we go. That led to Tony Martin taking action against burglars who repeatedly invaded his home, says Terry Ramsbottom. Well, that's right. What we have today uh, is a police chief who's basically saying, look, the problem here is not that we've not uh, got crime that we're not dealing with. It's not that crime is going up. It's that we are recording incidents which are not really recordable. We shouldn't be recording these incidents because it makes it look as if we're solving fewer crimes than ever. Well, surely that's not the point. There's no question in anybody's mind that criminal convictions and criminal charges being brought is a thing of the past. Let's talk to Peter Blexley, former Metropolitan Police detective. Peter, very good morning to you. 
And to you, Mike. I've never quite heard anything like this. I mean, I've heard of sort of PR spin, but to say that one of the reasons why it looks as though crime isn't being solved at the rate that it used to be uh, is because different crimes are being recorded and therefore uh, that's somehow skewing the figures seems mad, doesn't it? Well, here we have Sir David Thompson, Chief Constable of West Midlands Police, who is heading for the retirement door in about a month or so, and has suddenly found his voice. Um, and he's decided to say that part of the problem as to why the, the public uh, feel so uncomfortable and so fearful of crime is because police are reporting matters as violence when, in fact, they're not actually matters of violence. Right. Uh, now, of course, there's a huge problem with reporting of crime anyway, because you have the PCR, Police Crime Reporting Stats, and then you have the Crime Survey of England and Wales, and they often sell very different things. And we all know that statistics can be manipulated by by anybody in whatever way, generally speaking. Um, so what essentially Thompson is saying here is the police have got to stop reporting things. For example, if a child picks up a potato peeler and points it towards their parent, is that a crime of violence? Should that be recorded? And many other examples right. used. Well, who's reported that particular crime? Surely not the parents. Well, I, I don't know. He uses that as an example where he's saying that it shouldn't be reported as a crime. Now, of course, if the child was nine years old, they'd be below the age of criminal responsibility. Yeah. It shouldn't be a crime. If it's a big strapping 16-year-old who might have misbehaved in the, in, in the past and has got a potato peeler and is threatening a parent... I would say that very much would need to be a crime to be recorded. Well, I suppose so. But, I mean, these things seems to me this is about common sense as ever, isn't it, Peter? It's about sort of using your brain uh, and going, well, that's clearly not a crime. For example, he says things like verbal arguments between neighbours and people's fear of violence were being recorded as criminal acts. Well, I mean, if there's a verbal argument between neighbours, surely that would depend on what the verbal argument was. I mean, the verbal argument is between two people who live next door to each other and one of them threatens to kill the other one, then that's probably a crime. But if they're just having a row and one of them insults the wife's hairdo, that's probably not a crime. Threats to kill is very much a crime, of course. An example that's used in this article today in the Times newspaper is when a neighbour raises a walking stick during an argument. Now, is that a threatening act, for example? Should that be recorded as a crime? Well, I think if that stick is raised and the person who's on the other side of the argument feels that that stick might be brought down upon their head at any moment, yes, I would say that is a crime. Mm. But here we have it, Okay, The complexities and the mixed thinking and the confusion which is polluting so much of our policing. Exactly right. And Peter Hitchens has got himself in such a pickle. Yeah, well, Peter Hitchens was here just a moment ago talking about that terrible case uh, of the Pilkington family um, where they'd been abused for so long by their neighbours, but the police hadn't really done anything about it. Surely it's obvious that not every, you know, dispute between neighbours is worthy of police investigation, but they ought to be able to pick out the ones that are going to spiral out of control. You'd like to think that experienced police officers might have that kind of copper's feeling as to is this going to be something that will escalate or did the police turning up having a few stern words with the parties involved appear to nip the problem in the bud Mm. policing has got itself into such a confused state that i'm going to make no apology for saying what i think we need because policing is an industry now you've got departments of policing in universities you've got the national police chiefs council you've got the college of police 
please, listeners, if you can stay with me, I'm trying to illustrate a point here. You've got 43 different police forces in England and Wales. So much conflicting, confusing actions and directions going on. We truly need a royal commission into policing because we haven't had one since the early 1960s. And quite frankly, with so much of policing being in the state of confusion that it is, we are all being shortchanged. Yeah, absolutely right. And I'm not, also not buying his his uh, assertion that the, the streets of Britain are safer now than they were 20 years ago, because that is absolutely not true. Well, I've been reading an article this morning from the Office of National Statistics, who last week published the results of the most recent um, England and Wales crime study. And I kid you not, the general tone of that article was that we are all heading towards the sunny uplands of a crime-free nirvana, yeah. where we'll be able to leave our front doors open <laughs> and walk down the streets as, as it, uh, in, in blissful, blissful kind of whatever state of mind we might be in. Frankly, when we look at the cases we're hearing about, when we rely on anecdotal evidence, which I get every time I meet people, pe- and people know what I do, they're telling me about how they or a family member recently became a victim of crime. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. And I get that every single day here. People who, I mean, my favourite one that I'm quoting at the moment is a woman who rang up and told me that she got burgled. She reported it to the police at 7.30 on a Friday night. At 10.30 on a Friday night, same night, she got a call from the police saying they'd closed the case. That was it. They didn't bother coming round. They didn't ask her any questions. They literally just closed the case. And what we know uh, is that now from something like uh, just seven years ago, 20% of crimes were being solved. It's now down to 0.5%. An incredible low number. Yeah, absolutely. But some people will have us believe that crime, certain crimes, are are decreasing and are less prevalent than than they were. But if you look, look at the overall picture, we've got so many people now that simply don't report when they are a victim of crime right. because they think nothing is going to happen. The police won't do anything. It's utterly pointless. So I will not report the fact that my car got keyed last night or it got broken into right. or it got daubed with graffiti, etc., etc., etc. So I quite frankly don't trust many of these crime statistics at all. I prefer to rely upon the evidence that I hear when I'm talking to people and I meet people on a daily basis and that paints a pretty gloomy picture where people live in fear of becoming victims of crime. Absolutely right. That's exactly what I would have said. Peter, thank you very much indeed. Peter Blexley, former Metropolitan Police detective there. People are much more fearful of crime. There is more crime on the streets. This ridiculous notion that somehow we're living in a safer environment than we were 20 years ago is simply wrong and it shouldn't be being spread about. By a police chief, should it? 0344 499 1000. I'd say uh, bring us your stories of your dealings with the police. Uh, and if you want to, please do that. But we're so overwhelmed at the moment with calls. Um, we'll certainly get to them. We will get to them. Coming up next, we're going to have something new for you. It's called the Daily Biden. Edgy talk, plain talk, unrivaled talk. Mike Graham, the only radio show you can count on for a proper serving of good old-fashioned common sense. In search of the perfect debate. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Nationwide, by your side, talk radio and talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. The vitriolic left are still at it, uh, trying to link my picture of my little bonfire in the garden to some ludicrous attack uh, on a detention centre uh, down in Dover. It really is quite extraordinary. Somebody's actually now reporting me to the Metropolitan Police. Brilliant. I mean, don't you think that that is actually a waste of police time? 
when I'm clearly showing you a picture of something that's going on in my garden on a Sunday afternoon uh, when me and my son were actually clearing out uh, some spaces in the shed. I mean, it really does beg a belief how weird some people are. The left want me to be a horrible bigot. They would like me to be a racist. They would want me to be unpopular. But unfortunately, I am popular because people understand that I talk an awful lot of sense. Everybody knows that I'm not a racist. Everybody knows uh, that I'm a very, very commonsensical individual. And quite frankly, uh, to say that the asylum system in this country is working you'd have to be an idiot. To say uh, that the Home Office is working, you'd have to be absolutely nothing moronic. If you actually think that any part of our immigration policy is good, then you are a complete and utter out-of-touch wally. The bottom line for me uh, is that the Home Office needs fixing. The immigration system needs fixing. The border force needs fixing. We have had 40,000 people come here illegally this year alone. 1,900 yesterday. We've got Manston overwhelmingly overcrowded with too many people because it's not big enough to deal with all of the numbers of people coming to a detention centre in Dover, which was designed for a few hundred. If you can't see the sense of what I'm saying, then maybe you're listening to the wrong words. Maybe you're listening to the wrong message. Maybe you're imagining a message that is not being said because my message to all of you is that this has to stop because the violence that happened at the weekend... Uh, will probably get worse. And we know that there is violence both inside that detention centre uh, as well as the violence that happened yesterday outside of it. And the government now has to be seen not just to say they're going to do something about it, but to actually do something about it. Let's talk uh, to Alp Mehmet, who's chairman of Migration Watch UK, an expert in these matters, somebody who's been looking at the migration numbers for many, many years and somebody I've been talking to for a great many years about it as well. Alp, a very good afternoon to you. Welcome. Good afternoon to you, Mike. It's obvious now that we have reached um, a massive new kind of level of, of failure in this system. You know, we've got overcrowding at Manston. We've got hotels now used not just for block booking of migrants, but also now uh, for the booking of some floors where they will share space with people who have paid to be there. I mean, it's absolutely incredible what's going on, isn't it? Yeah, I agree. I agree entirely. I, I mean, one thing that I've been slightly taken aback over is the fact that uh, this all seems to uh, be blamed on Suella Braverman, yeah. that somehow this is all her fault. And I, I'm, I'm, as I say, I'm, I'm a bit confused about that. I can understand why a politician, why the opposition will uh, look for an opportunity to be critical of the government. But we mustn't lose sight of what has happened. We're, I, I think, something like uh, um, 78 short of 40,000 so far this year. We've had nearly 7,000 this month. It's the speed and the scale of what's going on that is the problem. It was going, always going to be inevitable, frankly, that the uh, facilities being provided were inadequate. Now, it takes time, I, I know, and I'm sure that the government is actually going to do its level best to address the problems. But to lose sight, to forget why this is all happening, I think is part of the problem, frankly. It really is, because you've got a border force, basically, that doesn't know 
what to do about all of these numbers coming in. The numbers clearly are increasing exponentially with every week that goes by. You know, I'm not even sure that the numbers will go down much between now and Christmas because the weather might not ever be that bad. And it doesn't seem always to stop them anyway. No, I, I don't think for one second that the, the numbers will go down. If anything, they will go up. And uh, all this uh, debate about providing the right facilities on arrival when people get here, all that does is, frankly, encourage the traffickers to ply their evil trade. Now, I, I really strongly believe that this problem has to be tackled at source. The, the EU has clearly lost control of all those coming into its own territory. There were 640,000 asylum applications last year. Mm. There's something like well, when I last looked at it in May, there were uh, something like 240,000 irregular entrants, illegal entrants. It's probably well over 300,000 now. The EU is uh, today or yesterday signed a deal with Egypt precisely because of the problem that we're now facing on the channel. So I think that part of the solution, of course, has to be working with the eu and working with the french and that that really is is to be welcomed yeah absolutely right on migration watches twitter i noticed that you've got a fact check there and it says we have plenty of routes for genuine refugees and those in need don't be misled by the twisted distortions of the open borders brigade now i retweeted that uh, tell us a bit more about what those routes are and how they could come in a different and possibly more legal way well, it's, it's not a case of coming in more legal ways, but the fact is that we're already dealing with hundreds of thousands of people who are coming here. Now, you, you could argue that coming from Hong Kong or coming from Ukraine is different circumstances, maybe. Um, but nevertheless, these are people who uh, want refuge, who are seeking refuge, and we're providing it. There are Afghans coming over here. There have been Syrians. There were Iraqis. There are any number of regular routes. And one thing that we have learned in, in bringing people over is that you've got to have the accommodation. Yeah. The Scots, not so long ago, had to put a hold on their scheme for Ukrainians because they didn't have the housing. Mm. And, and this is really part of the problem with regards to placing those who are coming here at will. They're arriving here with very little check, either from where they set off in France or indeed after they get to us. Well, that's right. And every country in Europe is dealing with this in various different ways, right? Denmark was able to repatriate a load of people. I think they paid them, actually, to go back to Syria. You've got Sweden basically deporting people who they consider to be illegal migrants. You've got Turkey um, allowing um, many people who are coming there from Syria to sit on a border because they won't let them in. You know, there's all sorts of different aspects going on around Europe, right, and various yeah. parts of it. Um, everybody seems to be doing it better than we are. Uh, well, I'm not sure that they are, to be honest. I think that the EU's mess, which is largely of their own making, is even bigger than ours. But that aside, but you, you, you mentioned Turkey. Mm. There are millions of uh, asylum seekers, of refugees in Turkey that the EU is 
paying for. So the EU is not above making arrangements to keep people away from their borders and from away from their territory. I, I think that this this problem has to be tackled collectively. We have to do it together with internationally, deal with it internationally, and then uh, perhaps we would start to uh, make sure that people are not setting off in the first place. No, quite. We'll come back to that in a moment. I've just got uh, handed a, uh, a piece of paper here from uh, the Press Association. Sola Bravum has said that between September the 6th and October the 19th, she had sent official documents from her government email to her personal address on six occasions. She said that that was on occasions when she was conducting meetings virtually or related to public lines to take in interviews. None of the documents in question concern national security, intelligence agency or cyber security matters and did not pose any risk to national security. None of the documents were classified as secret or top secret. It seems to me that there is, as you might expect, Alp, a kind of a, a groundswell of media uh, opinion that Suella Braverman should be sort of, you know, harassed and, cha- and chased out of office as a result of uh, what she's already resigned for once before. Um, what do you make of that statement? I mean, if it didn't pose a risk to national security and if none of the documents were classified as secret or top secret, what's the big deal? Well, maybe it has something to do with what Suella Braverman said at the party conference when she said she's not only concerned and will deal with the the channel crisis, but she also says that she's going to tackle the out-of-control legal Mm. migration that is going on. Now, I I suspect that there are those who are uh, displeased, to say the least, because it, it affects them if the sort of uncontrolled, cheaper, lower skilled immigration uh, is denied them. And that has something to do with it. With, with the opposition, the Labour Party, frankly, any uh, opposition worth its salt would, uh, uh, would, would attack the government. But it also, I believe, has something to do with the fact that what Suella Braverman was saying at her party conference actually appealed to a lot of people in and around the country. And that has more to do with the fact that um, Yvette Cooper, who is is a a decent person, but frankly, she and her party have absolutely no, 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 no answer Mm. and certainly no policies that would tackle this. And that's why... They're avoiding, they're avoiding the ball. They're going for the player. Well, that's it. And I mean, you you uh, echoed Natalie Elphick's sentiments yesterday when she said that there is this sort of cabal uh, of left wing lawyers, of charities, of you know people who seem to think that Britain should have an open door policy to anyone that wants to come here. Uh, yeah, uh, there are those who think that that is the right thing to do. Undoubtedly. It just so happens that the vast majority of people in this country don't believe that, don't want that. If democracy is worth anything, surely it's uh, worth listening to what the voters want and what it is that they're pressing for, rather than what the sort of people that you've just described, Mm. Mike, uh, think is is necessary or is the 
is the right thing to do. Well, exactly. And just to go back for a second to those Syrian refugees in Turkey, there's supposedly thousands of them assembling effectively on the Greek border so that they can get into the European Union, they can enter the EU, and from whence they can go presumably wherever they like, thanks to Schengen. Um, But the EU are trying to stop them coming. Uh, The EU is trying to stop them coming. And in fact, there have been reported cases where they've actually been turned back um, in uh, sort of mid-flow as they uh, before they they reach the boats reach uh, EU territory before they reach Greece they have been turned back Italians did something similar so it's not as if other countries are not above uh, pushing back the boats I'm not suggesting by the way I know a lot of people say let's let's turn the boats back uh, the channel, frankly, it's. I just don't see that it's practical without risking a lot of lives. And that's something that I think uh, we won't do. We won't turn boats back simply uh, because it means that there is every likelihood that people will die as a result of our doing that. Well, I think so. And that's exactly the point. You know, I think turning them back or doing something once they've arrived here is is not the the solution. The solution, surely, is to stop them coming in the first place. Uh, Alp, thanks very much indeed. Alp Mehmet, Chairman of Migration Watch UK. Uh, Coming up, we're going to be talking Halloween because, of course, uh, it is Halloween and whatever you're doing out there, it won't be as weird as what's going on down in Somerset. We've got a story for you uh, which will curdle... Uh, the milk in your coffee. This is Talk TV. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com.